I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. We've been studying there. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 1. To the angel of the church at Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were yours or which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase their name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father who, and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is a joy to come together. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege that we have, the common bond that we have in Jesus Christ, and being able to come together and study his word and then grow in unity together because of our time together and how this word knits us together. What a wonderful thing that to have a church that is like-minded and that come together on scriptures. Lord, I pray that we would apply this to our lives. Help us to be those who have ears to hear. Help us to be those who heed this warning. Implement it into our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been looking at the letters from Christ to the seven churches that are in Asia Minor that John was writing. We've come to the fifth church. And this is the church at Sardis. And Christ says it is a dead church. Hence the name zombie church. The zombie church. I believe everybody in Beckley is talking about the sign out front. The zombie church. I can't believe how much stir there is because of just that one term zombie. I don't know what there is about that term. There's a popular television show called, and it's about zombies. Actually, I think I saw some advertisements for another one coming out soon, but it's called The Walking Dead. Now, that's a paradox, right? There's, and I almost titled my uh, sermon uh, Walking Dead Church, but I wasn't sure how that would, uh, would go over. But it's a paradox, isn't it? You have apparent life, you have movement, but you don't have real life there. You have apparent life, but, but it's just dead. It's death. You say, how can that be? But we understand that. And that's amazing, isn't it? I mean, how do we even know what zombies look like? They portray them on TV and you think, oh, that's kind of strange. How do we know? We just have walking, walking dead. I mean, that's, that's the idea. We can use another analogy. And I thought this was pretty good. The stars that we look at at night, many of them are so far away 
Scientists say by the time the light gets to our eyes, some of those stars have already burned out. They're, they're not even there at all. But we still see that. Even though those stars are dead, we still, we still see that. I thought, well, you know, that's a, that's a pretty good analogy. You can kind of see that, but it's, it's not there. There's movement. There's some churches that are like that. The Bible says, and Christ said, this church is like that. There's some churches even that we see today. Even in my lifetime, there were liberal churches that began to preach a hundred years ago that this book was not really the Word of God. There's some errors in it. Then those churches began to die. Now, there was, they were flourishing. There were big denominational churches because of the teaching there and people buying into this and they disconnected themselves from Christ and they began to die. And we see the effects of that today, don't we? We see big, beautiful buildings, a lot of money, even land. And you go into these churches and there's a handful of people and they finally just have died almost completely, completely dead. And we understand that. We understand. I mean, that's what cults are, right? There, there, there's a lot of liveliness. There's a lot of movement there. But the reality is they are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Now, in my way of thinking, the term zombie you know, communicates that. And I think that uh, other people understand that. I mean, Christ said this. He said this. He said, there's going to be wheat, or there's going to be tares among the wheat, right? And he said, there's going to be wolves among the sheep. And he said there's going to be unbelievers within the church, within the among believers. But when, when there's more tares than wheat, you don't really have a crop anymore, do you? When there's more wolves than sheep, you don't have a flock anymore. And when you have more unbelievers in your church than believers, you really don't have a, you don't have a church. You don't have, a, you don't have a spiritual life there anymore. You get the idea. You get the concept. Christ is addressing this church, this dead church. There's an appearance of life, but they're spiritually dead. There's no reality, no spiritual reality there. Now, the focus is not in this passage. The focus isn't so much on the death, but on what to do. How do you revitalize a dead church? How do you breathe life into a a zombie church? How does that happen? What do you do? And just like our pattern has been in the past, we're going to look at an overview. I appreciate Tim bringing these uh, slides. We're going to look at an overview. Then we're just going to focus on the last couple of verses there, the focus that Christ puts on this, this passage. So let's look at the overview. First of all, the city. Now, this is the city of Sardis. It was a great city, one of the, the greatest ancient cities at that time. There was a claim that Aesop, of Aesop's fables, remember that guy, he was supposedly from this city, Sardis. There is also gold found in the creeks and the rivers uh, nearby. Archaeologists have found crucibles there where they would refine this gold. There is gold and silver uh, coins minted there in Sardis. Uh, also, another thing that they are noted for was they were the ones who discovered how to dye wool, how to color it. That's what they were known for. And, of course, wool and and dyed dyed fabric would have been a a big industry at that time. And they were a pretty wealthy city. 
And this city sat on a, a hill, a kind of a plateau in the middle of this valley, the Hermas Valley, Hermas River Valley. And it sat 1,500 feet high. That's pretty good. And they built walls on three sides of this city. So they were pretty secure. In fact, it was very, it was ultimately impenetrable. So they thought, and they become casual. They become um, overconfident. And at least twice, invading armies came in and sacked the city. In fact, they never did gain their independence. They were always under someone else's rule. So what you have is a wealthy city, a secure city, but had a dead church there. Now, what's interesting to me, and just a, a, just a small point here, is the church in Sardis is dead. It's worse than all of the other churches that we've seen. It's worse than those churches that were being persecuted. And you would think the persecuted church, uh, they would be the ones that would scatter and disappear and be dead. But the principle, Satan doesn't persecute a dead church, does he? It's pretty complacent. He wants everything to be good. He wants, he wants it to be filled even. He wants it to be filled. Number two, the writer. Christ is the writer and we, uh, <clears throat> he does the same thing that he has been doing, the pattern that he's been doing, is that he is using the, the image, the vision that uh, John saw in John chapter 1 or Revelation chapter 1. He's using that to depict Christ. Now, this is really interesting. If you look at verse 1, he says, and this is the depiction that Christ has, or, or John has of Christ, and this is the way he wants to be depicted. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, he has something. He's holding something. Remember, that was, uh, that was part of John's vision. He has these seven stars. And we know, chapter 1, verse, thir- verse 20, those seven stars are the... Uh, the, the messengers, these uh, angels, these messengers that are going to take this message to the churches. Essentially, it's the church leaders, the elders of the church, the ones who are going to deliver this message, deliver these messages to the seven churches. God works through, or Christ is working through, His leadership in His church. But He also has the seven spirits of God. Now, God doesn't have seven spirits, and that's not what He's communicating. He's, this is symbolic. It's, it's like menorah that has seven candlesticks on it. He's just talking about the completeness and the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. It's symbolic there. We can understand that. You look at this image of Christ and you think, well, that's not very threatening. I'm not fearful. And you would think that this would be the most threatening of all the images because because they're a dead church and Christ is going to come and, and take care of them. But it's not so threatening. Here's why. One of the uh, commentaries that I read says this. He depicted himself as the one who sovereignly works in his church through the Holy Spirit and godly leaders. Now we understand that. He has these things. Here's what he says. He goes on to say that that introduction serves as a reminder to the Sardis churches of what they lacked. They lacked the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the godly leaders that they should. Christ had those. Those are in His care. Those are in His charge. So this church lacked these things. He goes on to say, devoid of the Holy Spirit, the church at Sardis was dead, populated by unredeemed people. You take out the Holy Spirit, you have a dead church. 
The Holy Spirit represents Christ in that, in that church. And essentially you take away Christ, you take away the Holy Spirit, you remove Christ, the source of life, and you don't have a church. You don't have spiritual life at all. Even though they profess the name of Christ. Even though they professed it. So Christ is pointing out what they lack. He's pointing out what they don't have. That's really interesting to have a church. Now think about that. Again, let's go back to our illustration. The church is walking dead. They, they have an apparent life, but they spiritually, there is not there. There is no life. Let's go on. He goes right into the concern, number three. He goes right into the concern. He starts, normally he would start with an encouragement. Remember, that's the pattern that's, that we've seen in the past. But here he goes right into the, to the concern. In the middle of verse 1, he says this, that you have a name... I'm sorry, let me go back. I know your deeds. They had deeds. They had activities. They had programs. And they had people. They had Stuff was going on. I know your deeds. Now, the, the, the deadness doesn't come because they were an elderly church. Because they couldn't do anything. It's not because that they didn't have vitality. They had that. They did have those things. He says, I know your deeds. He goes on to say that you have a name, essentially a reputation that you are alive. He says, and you have a, a reputation that you're alive. I see those deeds. I see what you're doing. I see your activities. I see what the community would say, a, a reputation of life. Man, there's some, there's some alive people there. There's some uh, dramatic things going there. They have music. They have lots of people. They have programs. They have speakers. But Christ was not there. God's Word was not there. The Holy Spirit was not there. They were, they were dead. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. The passage that we read earlier. They were unregenerated. They had not submitted themselves to Christ. Listen, they were doing their own church. This was their church. And according to the community, the community would look at it and say, Man, they are alive. They are vibrant. This once vibrant church had had the spiritual life removed from it. Now, maybe, maybe because of just weak teaching. Maybe because of false teaching. Maybe because of immorality and corruption within the church. But this church was populated by unbelievers and they were playing church. They were playing church. Christ wouldn't even acknowledge them. They're playing church. This is not His church. They are just, they are uh, doing this on their own accord. And the community's evaluation of this church doesn't count. Christ's evaluation counts. His evaluation. He is the one who diagnoses His church. And He says, I've looked at your church. I've seen this. And you've got a, a lot of activities. You look like you're alive, but you are dead. Just contrary to what people actually see. Man, that's pretty rough. That's pretty harsh on a church. Even though they claim to the name of Christ... But you know what? When the Word of God is not honored as the Word of God, when strong doctrine is not tolerated, when the Gospel of Christ is not preached, but immorality is tolerated, then you have a dead church. 
But what makes it a dead church is that Christ has been removed. The Holy Spirit is no longer there. That's essentially what, that's the bottom line. That's what makes it a dead church. Now, this could happen to any church. That's kind of a scary thing as a pastor. Pastor Flager and I remember our conversation about this. We talked a lot. We talked about a pastor has to think in decades of time. You have to think long term. And boy, we don't do that today, do we? We have such an immediate, oh, let's do this or let's do that. And we, we've got to think long term. What is the long term health of the church? What is, what is the best for long term life of the church? You have to think, you have to think like that. So that's the Christ's concern was that they were, that they were dead, that they were dead. And the consequences in the middle of verse three, listen to this. He says, if you do not wake up, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come. Now he doesn't say what he's going to do. But listen, when I'm driving down the road and the kids are killing each other in the back and I say, I'm going to come back there. I mean, th- those kids know what I'm talking about, right? I don't have to say, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this. They understand. Listen, this is not a, a friendly little visit from Christ. They don't want to see Christ in their condition. They don't want to see this. They don't want to see let Christ see them in this state. This would have been an, an embarrassment. There's going to be consequences. But he gives an encouragement. That's what I think is really interesting. Here's the encouragement in verse 4. But you have a few, just a few, a remnant, a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garment and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. There's a little bit of encouragement there. There's a handful. Not the whole church, definitely not. But there's a, a few believers scattered among the wolves, if you will. They had not soiled their garments. That's talking about sin. It could be talking about the sin of immorality involved maybe in idolatry. That was uh, the trend of the day that the Christian churches were trending to do that, maybe to even reach the unbeliever. But they were involved in sin. And there was a few. There was a few in the congregation that had some discernment and say, no, I, you know, I, I hear what they say and I, I hear this teaching and they seem to be justifying it, but I can't buy into that. They had not soiled their garments. They were not involved in this sin. And in spite of the rest of the congregation, they were not, not compromised. But the thing is, is they were going with the flow. They were going with the flow. And Christ is going to address that in just a minute, verses 2 and 3. But he says, look, there's a few there in Sardis and not so of their garments. And here's, he says, and they will walk with me in white. In white, this represents purity, represents their righteousness. The key is their reward, their great reward is to walk with Christ. Walk with Christ, to walk with the, the life giver in righteousness and purity. You say, I thought there would be something else. I thought there would be a a greater reward than that. Look, I've been a Christian for this long, and here I I just get to walk with Christ. Come on, there's got to be more to it than that. But listen, a true believer, this is the greatest reward that you could ever give the true believer. They understand. I get to walk with Christ. 
Listen, folks, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. We walk with Him. That is our reward. Heaven is not our reward. Christ is our reward. I'm reminded of, of uh, Adam and Eve. And in the cool of the evening, God would come down and, and He would walk with Adam. And Adam would point out, hey, did you see what I did here? Did you see this? Yeah, you're doing a really good job, Adam. Just walking with your Creator the way life was intended to be. And that's the reward. That's the reward. It's the reward that we have. And that's good. That's good. And then we have number six, is the advice. He gives some advice like he always does. This is the pattern. Verse five, he who overcomes will thus be clothed in white. And there's a promise here. I'm giving you a promise. You overcome. Now, we looked at that word. We've looked at that word in the past several times. They, they need to hang in there. And this is, a, by the way, this is addressed to those few Christians that are still left. They, they need to overcome. And, and He's going to give them. He promises three things. He says, I'll give you a garment. I'll give you a white garment. That's just righteousness. When you get to heaven, you're going to be righteous. I'm going to give you your righteousness. I'm going to give you what your heart truly, genuinely desires. And that's righteousness. That's purity. And then, He says, I'm, I'm not going to erase your name from the book of life. When every community, every city would have a registry. Every member of that city would be registered there. Their names would be in that, that register, probably at the time they were born or when they moved to the city, something like that. But if they would die, their names would be removed. We can, we can understand that. Now, some people look at this little phrase, oh, boy, he's, he's, they're dead and he's getting ready to erase their name. And, and it's not that. It's not that at all. This is not a threat. In, in the context, it's not a threat. It's a promise. I'm promising. He's just saying a positive thing in a negative way. That's, that's all it is. That's all it is. Don't, don't read too much into that. He says, I'm not going to erase your name. Your name is still going to be there. Your name is protected. It is secure. And then third, he says, I will confess you. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. To the, to the watching world, to the spiritual world. I'm going to confess and remind us of what Christ said. Look, if anyone confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father who is in heaven. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be introduced to, to God. This is, this is the Son that I was telling you about. And, and here's His name. And, isn't that a wonderful picture? It's a promise to those who overcome. And we need to be, in verse 6, we need to be those who have ears and, and who heed this warning from the Spirit. We need to be that. This is a warning. So what you have is a vibrant church in a, in a pretty wealthy, secure city. Probably a little complacent about their security. But it's a church with a good reputation. But Christ says they are dead. Now folks, th- this reminds me of the church, many churches in America today. You see a lot of life. You see a lot of activities. You see a lot of people. A lot of people. But that doesn't mean that they are spiritually alive. That doesn't mean that Christ is in that church. It doesn't mean that at all. It's really a man-centered religion. And you begin to delve into probably each one of these churches. You would, you would see that. And the teaching is not exactly scriptural teaching. The emphasis is on the wrong place. I read a statistic the other day, or this week, actually, that said 80% of the people go to church for the music. 
80%. Emphasis is on the wrong place. Music good? Absolutely. Absolutely. The life-giving Word of God is more important. So this sounds like a paradox. It sounds like a paradox. It sounds like something that it cannot really happen because you have, you have life, but you have, you have real spiritual death there. But that's exactly what Satan wants. It's exactly the work of Satan. He would love to fill up the churches and people think that they are saved when they're not. They think that they're serving this true religion when they're not. When they're not genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And you think, oh, that'll never happen. That can't happen. But it does. And it is. And it's practiced before us. Listen, this image here needs to sink deep in our mind. It needs to scare us and say, I, we never want to be that church. We never want to be that church. We need to think in decades of time, in, in generations, what are we doing now to secure a next generation that's going to be vibrant, that there's going to be genuine spiritual life. That they're going to stick with the teachings of Christ and the Word of God. Now, what does dead people need? What do dead people need? Number two, go to the next slide. They need life, right? They need, they need life. They need reviving. In verses 2 and 3, he addresses these few Christians. And these few Christians, you know, they, they maybe they feel a little helpless there. They don't know what, to, what do we do. I mean, we're just... There's few in number, just a few Christians there. And he gives them five steps. Look, here's what needs to happen. Here's what needs to happen in verse 2. First of all, he says, wake up. Wake up. Don't go with the flow anymore. You've got to reverse the flow. It's, there's no time for indifference. The body has grown cold. It's, starting to, it's turning blue and it's starting to turn cold and it, it would turn stiff and atrophy. And next is decay and rot. They need to preach Christ. They need to preach Christ. They need to stand up in a church. There's just few of them. Maybe in a large church. And they, they've got to turn, somehow turn the tide back to the emphasis on the right place. And that is Jesus Christ. Number two, they have to, they said, strengthen the things that remain. There's a, a few, maybe a, a Bible study here. Maybe there's a, a, a discipleship thing here that's, that's still going on. They're still teaching the Word of God. I remember this apostle saying this. I remember this teacher saying this. Let's go... And, and, and he says, strengthen those things. Fan the flame. These little embers that are about to go out. He says, fan this flame. Bring back the teachings of Christ. Submit yourself to the teachings of Christ. Fan those flames. And then verse 3. He says, yeah, in verse 3. So remember. Remember what you have received and heard. Now those, those two words. What you received and heard. What does that remind us of? It reminds us exactly what Paul told Timothy. Remember? He says, I'm trusting, I'm entrusting to you this gospel, this doctrine. Hang on to it, Timothy. And pass it to the next generation. And he says, remember. She says, okay, look, I know what you're teaching now. I know what you're thinking now. You need to go back and study those things that were handed to you by the authentic, the original believers that entrusted this gospel to you. He says, go back. Remember. 
The things that you received. The things that you heard. Go back. Go back and follow Christ. Somehow they're, they're no longer followers of Jesus Christ. They're followers of their own imagination. Of what they think Christ would do. They were dead. Or they were kind of going with the flow, this group here. Number four, they not only have to, uh, to, have to go back to the gospel and understand the gospel and hang on to those things, but they have to keep it. It says keep it. Implement it into their life. Be active about it. And then number five, he says repent. When you begin to go back, And this is such good stuff. You go back and you see the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity of Christ, and you begin to realize how complicated the teachings have become. And you say, man, how did we get from here to here? How how do we do that? And you go back and you begin to see that and and it just breaks you. There's repentance. There's sorrow. There's remorse. There's confession of sin and turning from that sin. There's revival. There's life. There's a path of spiritual life right here. Just go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to what you know. Go back to what you know. Now, for us today, so he's challenging these these folks. There's few in number, but they have a, a huge task, right? There's two two things, and this is really interesting because this is modern day as well. I have a, a relative I actually we talked with at the, a reunion last week, maybe two weeks ago. I didn't realize it at the time, but he's a pastor in North Carolina, and he is in a mainline denominational church. And uh, this this church is actually going the course of liberalism, and he's now put into place steps to move his church out of that denomination. They're beginning to take steps to uh, do things that would disagree with him. And they could come out and they could just leave this church. Or they could try to revitalize this church, what, what is there. And, and either one would probably be good. If they cannot revitalize it, if it doesn't work, then they come out and they establish the church of Jesus Christ. Reestablish it. But for us, but for us, we, we have to ask the question, are there some warning signs? What can we do to make sure that Daniel's Bible Church does not go down this path? Because you kind of get the feeling that they didn't start out doing this. They just, it's a gradual slide, a gradual thing to go down this path. John MacArthur had a, a good list of things. He says this. He says, when a church is content to rest on past laurels, when a church is more concerned about liturgical form than spiritual reality, and that is so important, a spiritual reality as opposed to liturgical form. And when it focuses on a cure of social ills rather than changing people's hearts through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they're more concerned about material things rather than spiritual things, and when they're more concerned with the, the, what men think rather than what God says, see the gradual slide here? When they are more enamored with doctrinal creeds and systems of theology rather than the Word of God, this is when it loses its conviction that every word of the Bible is the Word of God Himself, 
then they are a dead church. Then they're gradually moving that direction. He goes on to say, this is no matter what its attendance, no matter how impressive its buildings, no matter what its status in the community, such a church that has denied scriptures is a dead church. No spiritual life. Now that's the gradual slide. We have to be careful about all of those things. And you can see how those things can happen. We just begin to to look over here. We begin to look over here. and Boy, if we do this, then we can grow bigger. If we do that, then more people will come. And So what do I do personally? What do I do personally? Let me show you. This is just my own thinking. Three things. These are three questions that I have. First of all, the question, are your activities, are my activities, do they reflect genuine spiritual life? Or, or are we just going with the flow? Are we just going with what pleases man? Are we just, are we just doing what uh, we think is expected of us? Or does it come from genuine spiritual life? Or is there salvation, essentially? Is there salvation there? You have to ask yourself that question. Number two, am I following Christ? Or am I following my own version of Christ? Or what I think that Christ might do? Do we, do we know Scriptures well enough to say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm following Jesus Christ. Number three, the next question. Am I being nourished by the life-giving Word? Am I being nourished by the life-giving Word? I, have to, I had to ask myself these questions. I had to think and evaluate my own life. Lord, am I deceived? Am I, am I really, is there spiritual life there? I have to evaluate. I have to look. You're only as alive as you are attached to the vine in John chapter 15, if you remember that passage. Let me give you one note of encouragement. A few decades later, after John wrote this, there was a man born by the name of Malito. And Malito, I just reading some things about him this morning, is a very strong Christian man. And it's, he, he has the title, Malito, the Bishop of Sardis. So apparently, apparently sometime after John, re, uh, this, uh, John sent his letter and the church received this letter, it woke enough people up that there apparently was some kind of revival there. And this man, he was the bishop of the church at Sardis, and he was a strong influence. It was a strong influence. And it was because of revival. It was probably because of this very thing. These very things. Somebody, somebody woke up, strengthened the things that remained. Somebody remembered, I remember the gospel. I remember them telling me about that. They began to live it out. They began to keep it. And there was genuine repentance there. And because of that, Melito grew up in, or, or he, uh, he became this bishop, very strong influence in the Christian community at that time. So it shows, it shows that these things can be reversed, that life can happen even in a dead church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I do thank you for this word. And again, may we heed the warning. May we see this. Lord, I thank you for, for a church that's alive. 
that, that, that I don't see a lot of pretense here. I don't, I don't see a lot of uh, just activity for activity's sake. I see genuine believers. And Lord, that is so encouraging to me. I see genuine life. I see genuine spiritual life here. And that is so good. And I thank you for that. Because you alone give spiritual life. You're the one that, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, you made us alive. And that's a wonderful thought. I thank you for your grace. But Lord, if there's those here that are just playing the game, just kind of playing church, not really interested, just kind of going with the flow, I pray that you would work in their hearts, work in their minds. Lord, may they get back on track, or may they, maybe they just need to discover who Christ is. Discover Christ. Commit themselves to Him. Disciple, be discipled by Him. Follow Him. And may there be true spiritual life as a result. I thank You for Your Word. How precious it is. These guardrails that we see that just keep us from going off the trail. We thank You. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We would love to be able to help you. Uh, I'm here throughout the week. You can stop by my office anytime or talk to me today. Um, or any of our uh, elders would love to be able to do that. In fact, that's why we're here. We're here to deal with spiritual matters. I know that, that you hear a, a lot of decisions that we make, physical decisions that you know affect uh, the things. But, but really, we're here for spiritual reasons, folks. Those are, those are what counts. Those are what matters. The way we think, the way we think about God, we need to get those things straight. And so that's why our elders are here. Uh, that's why we emphasize the Word of God. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. Uh, thank you for your good attention. Uh, just so good to look out and just see a congregation that loves the Lord, that loves to hear from the Word of God.